Let's give it up for all the dads, all the dads in the house. Stand up, stand up. Let's give it up for the daddies. All right. Yes, sir, buddy. Father's Day, and the men said, bring on the presents. Don't give me no card, ain't got no cash in it. When I open up cards, I open them up really careful because I don't want anything to fall out that was supposed to be in my pocket. I know you love me. Just send cash. All right. So good to see everybody here today. I got to tell you something, man. Bunch of choir folks are out today. You know, on Father's Day and Mother's Day, uh, a lot of people go to be with their family as it should be. So our choir was a little smaller than normal, but did they bring it today? Did they bring it? So here's what that tells you. The lousy singers weren't here today. The good singers were here. Awesome, man. Awesome. Do not tell the ones that didn't show up that I said that, all right? <clears throat> so good to have everybody. Welcome to all the visitors, guests who are with us today. Make yourself at home. Here's our theme at the bridge. We will treat you so many ways you're bound to like one of them. So just hang around long enough. Uh, but we're so happy uh, that you were here. Did Pastor James, our new student ministries pastor, did he bring it last week? Did he bring that word? Yeah, man. When I write their sermons for them, I'm telling you, when I load their gun, they can shoot it. I'm just saying. We're talking about doubt, and Pastor James got us started last week. We're talking about when in doubt, what do we do? Um, the hashtag for this series, if you're going to put something on social media, is hashtag when in doubt. And if you'd like these sermon notes, you can get them by using the email address that's up on the screen right there. Just tell us the date. The title, as best you can remember it, and we will send you the sermon notes. When you read in the Word of God, in the Bible, about what God says concerning doubt, what He says about faith, what He says about assurance. How many of y'all remember that old hymn, Blessed Knowing, Knowing, Confidence, Not Doubting, Blessed Assurance. When the Bible talks about believing, trusting, and not doubting, God talks to two audiences. He talks to the unbeliever, the person who has not yet trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And I'm sure there are people sitting here today and you just haven't gotten there yet. You haven't made that decision. And I want to say to you, we are so glad you are here today. You are in the right place. We are a church that allows you to ask questions. As a matter of fact, that email address that popped up, if you have any questions about this church or any questions about what we believe or any questions about the sermon, if you will send us those questions, I promise you we will respond to them. You can ask questions in this church. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, but he also talks to believers, those of us who have trusted Christ, those of us who have decided we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to surrender our life to Jesus, because even Christians struggle. Even Christians from time to time are tempted with doubt. And so we're going to talk about that in the series today. I heard a story uh, recently about a pastor who went to visit someone who was sick, 
And he was talking to them about accepting the Lord into their life. And this person was a very good person, but they had just not trusted the Lord. And he was telling them, you know, that uh, what the Bible says about that. And uh, he wanted them to be right with God, so he was sharing the gospel. And here's what the man said back to him. He said, but pastor... No one can know for sure about their relationship with God until they die and they stand before him at the judgment. That's the only way you can really know without the shadow of a doubt that you've been accepted by him. How many of you are glad that is not true? We can know right now that we're right with God. Now, here's why you doubt. You doubt because a lot of times you think your perfection makes you right with God. Let me ask another question. How many of you are glad that's not true? <laughs> Amen. Thank God that isn't true. Perfection. Nowhere in the Bible, we'll talk about it today, nowhere in the Bible does God require sinless perfection. But we are going to see today what God does require. So what has God said in his word about the believer's confidence? It's really important that you have confidence in your walk with God. That you have confidence in your relationship with God. And so let's go to 1 John. If you can't find that in your Bible, it's toward the back of your Bible. And it's right before 2 John. Absolutely. So it should be easy to find. It's right at the back, right before Revelation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Now, I want you to notice this is powerful because James, John rather is going to tell us why he wrote this book of the Bible. He's going to tell us why he wrote this book. He said, these things have I written to you. These things have I written down. This book I wrote to you who what? So he's talking to who? He's talking to Christians talking to believers. If you're here today, though, and you're not a believer, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Watch what we're talking about here. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit. I mean, you can even say, if you're not, if you're not a believer yet, if you're not a Christian, you can even say, Holy Spirit, if you really do exist, speak to my heart today. Speak to my heart, and he will. He'll speak to your heart. So he says, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may hope that you may wish, that you may cross your fingers and really think maybe, maybe. So let's back up, and I want you to fill in the blank when I get there. So that you may, boom, so that you may know, you may know, not wonder, hope, have your fingers crossed, that you may know, that you may know what, that you have what? Eternal life. What does that mean? That you have been, and I'm going to use some Bible words today, and you might be here today and you don't know all our Bible words, and I'll try to explain them as we go along, but you've been saved. That's how you can know that you've been saved. These things I wrote, I wrote this book, John says, so you can be confident, so you can be sure, so that you won't doubt that if Jesus were to come or your life were to end, that you would have what kind of life? Where? In heaven. You can know that. You can know it. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, man, I hope, you know, gosh, I got my fingers crossed. I mess up so much. And 
man, I just hope when Jesus comes, you know, or I hope if, the, if I were to lose my life, boy, I hope I've taken care of everything. I hope i got everything taken care of. Can I tell you something? You won't have everything taken care of. It's not about you living perfectly because you're not going to. It's about you being right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You understand the cross, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus rose from the dead for you. And you understand that through Jesus, you have a connection, a relationship with the Father. You're going to mess up. How many of you, your parents, you messed up, you broke their rules? They never looked at you and went, you're out of here. You're not my son anymore. You're not my daughter anymore. Now, if they did that, then they're not a very good parent. But our Father in heaven would never. He would look at us and bring conviction. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago about the difference in conviction and condemnation? When we do wrong, the Holy Spirit says, come here, come here, you messed up, come here, give me a hug, let me make sure you're okay. You can't do that anymore. See, I told you if you did that, you're going to get hurt. But condemnation doesn't come from God, it comes from the enemy. And when we do wrong, the enemy says, get out of here. The enemy says, God doesn't want to talk to you anymore. You mess up so much, God doesn't care about you anymore, doesn't want to talk to you anymore. So you see the difference in conviction of the Holy Spirit? Conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we mess up, draws us to God. Condemnation pushes us away from God. Can I ask you another question? How many of you have heard both of those voices? I've heard both of those voices. I've heard the Holy Spirit say, come here, you messed up, Pharaoh. And I've heard the enemy go, you messed up. God doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Do you see the difference? Very important that we get that. So, John wrote three books of the Bible right at the end. We just read out of the first one. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John at the end of the Bible. But he wrote another book in the Bible, and it is called the Gospel of John, good, and it's at the beginning of your Bible, it's at the beginning of the New Testament. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. He wrote all of those books, the Gospel of John, and he wrote the Epistles of John, or the word epistle. I remember when we were in Bible college, somebody, uh, one of the professors said, who knows what an epistle is? And this guy raised his hand and said, the wives of the apostles. No, that's not true. An epistle is a what? A letter. It's a letter. So he wrote three letters. And uh, the Gospel of John, he tells us, now we were just in 1 John, but we're going to go back now to the beginning of the New Testament, fourth book in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, he tells us why he wrote that book. That's in there too. So in John chapter 20, verse 31, look what he said. He said, these have I written so that you may believe. So if he wrote John, these words have I written so that you may believe. So he's saying, I want you to believe. Now in the other one that we read earlier, he said, I am writing to you who have believed. Are y'all with me out there? So the gospel of John is to influence unbelievers to believe in Jesus. And 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are written, especially 1 John, but all through the writings of all three of those letters, he's writing to the believer that we will have confidence in our relationship with God. Who's with me out there? Say amen. So if you come up to me today and you say, Pastor, I am not a believer, 
but I'm really searching and I'm really praying and I'm really asking God to show himself to me and, and reveal himself to me. Pastor, what would you suggest I read? Well, I would suggest you read the Gospel of John. Because John says, I wrote this book, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of, these re one of the reasons I wrote the book of John was so that unbelievers would see who Jesus is and they would see what Jesus did on the cross and they would see what he did in rising from the dead and they would understand his glorious gift to us of salvation. And so that gospel of John, anytime you're talking to a member of your family or friends who don't know Christ and they're like, well, where can I start? I don't even know where to start. Do not tell them the book of Revelation. How many of y'all know that unbelievers will go, I've been reading Revelation and I'm confused. And I want to look at them and go, I've been a Christian 40 years and I've been reading the book of Revelation and I'm confused too. You'll have to get Mitchell Grantham up here to explain the book of Revelation. It, takes, it almost takes an expert. It almost takes a specialist to go through the book of Revelation and teach us the things of the book of Revelation. That You don't want to wade in that water yet. It's like a, like a two-year-old going, Daddy, I want to get in the pool. So you walk down to the deep end and go, here you go, buddy. God bless you. How you doing, son, son? But a lot of people do that. They think they want to jump in the deep end of the pool. Listen, there's deep stuff in the book of John, but the book of John was written so we could understand who Jesus is. Here's the thing I love about Jesus. He wants you to question him. He wants you to scrutinize him. He wants you to investigate him. Do you think Jesus is up in heaven looking at unbelievers going, well, don't ask too many questions now. Jesus is like, bring it. Bring it. I, I, how many of y'all know Jesus has been through every question there is? He, and he's got the answer. So he welcomes you to investigate him, investigate his teachings. He welcomes your scrutiny. As a matter of fact, he said to Pilate, when he was standing before Pilate, he was about to be sentenced to death. He was about to be sentenced to the cross. He said to Pilate, he said, you know what, Pilate, John 18, 37, he said, anybody who sincerely wants to know who I am, they'll hear my voice. And I want to tell you today, I don't, I don't understand it, all that Jesus means by that, but I tell you what I do understand. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, if you'll start talking to him and asking him, hey man, you there, show yourself. You really, God, I want to know. I want to know. And if, if I can, if I can uh, understand you, if I can get any comprehension of you, I'm going to follow you. I'm, I'm, I wasn't brought up in church. And, and if you're really there, Jesus, uh, I'm interested in finding out about you. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that Jesus will speak to a man like that. If you're, I don't know how he'll do it. I don't know what method he will use. But I promise you something. If Jesus said a sincere person will get answers to their questions, he meant it. So I want to speak directly today to that person who hasn't believed. You can come up with every excuse you want to come up with for not following Jesus. And you can look around and go, oh, I see people here who I know their past life. I know some things they did. And you might even say something that would just stun me like, you know, there's some people at the bridge that aren't perfect. Really, you think. Get your eyes off us. We're all broken people. 
You're looking around at the bridge right now going, oh, I know them. I remember something they did. I remember I used to run around with, I know what. Hey, listen, buddy, we all come from brokenness. But you know what? He saved us. He forgave us. He washed us in his blood. And he adopted us into his family. And he put resurrection life in us. Yes, sir, you can find a million things if you look in my past that I did wrong. But I'm not pointing you to me. I can't save you. But I can point you to the one who saved me. And he'll save you. You know what Pilate said about Jesus? I find no fault in this man. Somebody say hallelujah. That's who we serve. Nobody's pointing you to the bridge. Nobody's pointing you to Pharaoh Hardison. Nobody's pointing you to anybody on our staff or some denomination. It's Jesus that you need. And Jesus said, bring your questions. Bring your doubts, unbeliever. Bring your doubts. Bring your questions. I'll be glad to answer them. I preached on that a lot longer than I intended to. But I just felt a little voice say, stay there a little longer. So I did. Now y'all are hoping I hear a voice that says, hurry up. <laughs> now the three epistles of John, and that's where we're going to spend our time, is written to encourage believers. The three epistles, the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, are written to help believers who struggle with doubt, doubt of various kinds. And we all struggle with doubt from time to time. We all have our moments, don't we? Can I ask you a question? How many of you have ever just been going through a day and you have a thought and you go, where in the world did that come from? Where did that come from? I always blame Millie, but it doesn't help me. Doesn't help, doesn't help. So I quit blaming her out loud. I just blame her inside. <laughs> so, so I have moments of doubt. I'll have a moment where I'm like, where did that thought come from? Where did that question come from? I thought I had that settled. But see, we battle with that human nature all the time. That human nature is still in us. So we battle with that all the time. You're going to have moments of doubt. And not only are you have moments of doubt, there are going to be, for some of you, seasons where you're really struggling with your faith. You're really struggling with doubt. So I want to just say to you today that if you're in that season or you've been having those moments, that you shouldn't be discouraged, but you should know that all of us, all of your fellow Christians have those moments at various levels in their life. And so don't throw in the towel. Don't go, I'm going to give up. Where did that come from? I must not really be a Christian. See, that's what the enemy wants to do is make you, make you doubt your relationship with God. Because if he can make you doubt your relationship with God, then he's going to weaken you more and more. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is written to Christians so we can win the victory over doubt. Now, I'm not saying that doubts are good, but there's a bright side to doubt. Here's the deal. <clears throat> doubt is to your spirit what pain is to your body. Doubt is to your spiritual life what pain is to your physical body. If you're feeling pain right now, it doesn't mean you're dead. It means you're what? Alive. You're alive. How many of you know alive's a good thing? I mean, especially if you're in church, you want to be alive, don't you? Physical pain is not a good thing. I don't think anybody would raise their hand and go, thank God I'm in pain. But pain is a good thing in the sense that it is a signal to you that you need to do some investigating. You need to do, you need to pay attention. Where's that pain coming from? What is the source of that pain? <clears throat> you might need to go to the doctor. You might need to get a checkup. 
uh, if it's persistent. So when a believer doubts, it's a signal that something is wrong in their spirit. Now listen, it doesn't mean they're not a Christian. It just means they're having a little battle. They're having a little struggle. Something's not quite right. So doubt is to the spirit what pain is to the body. And again, I'm not saying doubt's good. I'm not saying pain's good. But pain is good and doubt is good when they serve to warn us that something's not quite right. Amen, y'all with me? So just as we need to find the source of physical pain, John says when doubt comes, something's wrong and we need to find the source of that doubt. So in the series, I want to talk to you about how to be an overcomer when it comes to doubt. I want to teach you, I want to teach me, I want the Holy Spirit to teach us all how to win the battle, how to win the war, how to overcome when moments of doubt come in our life and seasons of doubt come into our life. Dwight L. Moody was a great preacher of yesteryear. Anybody ever heard of Dwight L. Moody? Dwight L. Moody got through preaching. You ought to study his life. Incredible, amazing man of God. And when he got through preaching, he was shaking hands at the door on a Sunday, and this woman went out and said, he was preaching on doubt. And the woman said, I've been a Christian 25 years, and I've never had a single doubt. He said, Madam, I doubt you're a Christian. I mean, that would be like somebody saying, I've been married 50 years, and I've never had an argument with my wife, then I doubt you're married. Amen? Y'all with me out there? Oh, we're about to have church now. Not trying to say arguments are good in a marriage or pain is good or doubt is good, but I'm saying that there are realities of life because I'm the mayor of what, what town? Realville. And when John said, I've written these things to you so you might have blessed assurance, he's telling us it's possible to be a Christian and sometimes struggle with doubt. So why is it so important to overcome doubt? Why is it so important? Let me tell you very quickly why it's important. Assurance of your walk with God, assurance, not of your perfection. You're never going to be assured of your perfection. Guess why? You're not perfect. So you're never going to have assurance. There's never going to be a day on this earth that you go, I am perfect. Because the moment you say that, pride has entered in and you're not perfect anymore. It's just like people who go, I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, if you find it, don't join it. You'll mess it up. (laughs) Stay at the bridge. (laughs) Amen. With all us other broken people. Amen. Y'all with me? So why is it so important to overcome our doubts? Because if we're going to serve God, and we talk about serving all the time here at the bridge. We challenged you last week, and we're going to challenge you again. Our church is growing, growing, growing. Uh, and, and we've even added on uh, uh, space at the other campus. We've just added on, I don't even know how many square feet, but uh, huge extra space for kids at the other campus in Goldsboro. We have a church there. They're going to meet at 11 o'clock today. Pastor Jeremy's preaching there. He's preaching this same sermon. And, and so our kids' ministry was growing. We had to have more room for our kids. And that means we're always challenging you. We need you to step up and serve our kids and because we want a church that's healthy with the children. Amen, amen. Y'all with me? And so we need you who aren't serving to step up in one of the greatest areas that we have with a lot of awesome job openings and the pay is eternal life. Uh, if you will get involved with our children's ministry. So, but, but to even be in children's ministry, to be in student ministry, to be a greeter, You're just so much more effective in your service if you come on campus and you're sure I'm right with God. I'm not perfect, but I've got blessed assurance. 
Do you know when you're talking to somebody who believes what they're trying to sell you? Have you ever talked to somebody who's trying to sell you something and you can tell they don't even believe in it? A guy stopped by my house one time and tried to sell me an extremely expensive vacuum cleaner. And I knew Millie would enjoy it. I wasn't going to use it, but I knew she'd like it. I'm waiting for him to come out with a riding vacuum cleaner. Then, I, then I'm in. Amen. Who's with me, guys? Oh, what a Father's Day present that would be. Get on that thing, baby. You'll love it right around here, you know. Anyway, I don't even know how I got there. But, but that guy was telling me, boy, all these things this vacuum cleaner would do. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. I said, what about you got one? Oh, no. He said, why? He said, I can't afford one of these things. You ever had somebody try to sell you something they don't even know what they're trying to sell you? Well, we're not trying to sell you anything, but if we want you to trust Jesus, if we want you to follow Jesus, we've got to be sure about our following of Jesus. And so that's why the enemy works so hard to make you doubt, to make you doubt yourself and doubt your relationship with God and doubt God's love and even sometimes get so low you doubt he's with you, you doubt his, uh, that, that he even exists. You, you think he leaves you sometimes and forgets about you and then sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not there. So he wants you to doubt. So when you're trying to talk to somebody who's not a believer, they're like, this dude don't even believe in what he's saying. I mean, he, I can tell. So we gotta, we got to have that blessed assurance in our serving and in our influencing. It's the foundation we work from as disciples. When I know, listen to this, when I know my future is secure in Jesus, when I know the promises of God are true, then I can concentrate on my mission he's put me on this earth for. If I'm all the, if I'm all the time worrying about whether I've even loved him or he loves me or, or I'm basing everything on emotion and feeling. You know, you know, there are feelings. You feel like God loves you. You feel like God's close to you. And then on another day, you feel like God doesn't love you. He's not close to you. How many of you know, no matter how you feel, he's right there with you all the time, loves you, un- unquestionable love, amen? But we go by our feelings. We go by our emotions sometimes. And it causes us to get off mission. So what kind of disciple would you be? What kind of disciple of Jesus would I be if I'm always filled with doubt about my relationship with God, constantly doubting his words that he has spoken and written to me? So let me me, uh, get to the meat of this. Talking about the power of confidence in your walk with God. Let's look at Paul. I think Paul's a beautiful example. Paul was so influential. I mean, when Paul would tell his story, when he would tell his story about being on the road to Damascus, and he would talk about what Jesus had done for him since he surrendered his life to Jesus. I mean, there was a guy who was really high up in the government who heard Paul's story, and he said, I mean, he was a heathen, man. He was a, he was a bad dude, and when he heard Paul's story, He said, you've almost convinced me to be a Christian. I mean, Paul was powerful. Why was Paul so powerful as a believer? Now listen, here's what you need to understand. Paul's influence, his powerful influence, you can have that same influence. You can have that same power in your life when you're confident about your relationship with God. Look what Paul said about his confidence. It's in 2 Timothy 2 and 12. Paul says, I know the one I trust. 
I know the one I trust, and I am what? Everybody say it. I'm sure. I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. So Paul was confident. John said basically the same thing. I wrote these words so that you could have blessed assurance, so that you can know, not hope or think or wish, but so you can have full confidence in him, both in your relationship with him and in his promises. So what we're going to do in this sermon series is we're going to ask three questions or we're going to look at three tests to test whether you are a Christian or not. You ready for that? And you might be sitting out there going, oh, I know I'm a Christian pastor. That's awesome. That's great. But we're going we're gonna to just reinforce that. We're going to reinforce that. What shows, what proves, what reveals that we have a right relationship with God? The first one is called the obedience test, or probably next week I'm going to change that to question, the question of obedience. Am I obedient? Next week it will be love. You know, we're going to ask the question of love. What do I love? Because whether you obey God or not is going to reveal whether you're a Christian or not. And then next week we'll talk about what you love and don't love will reveal whether you're a Christian or not. So let's look at this one. Let's look at obedience. Let's go back to 1 John. Let's go to chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 3 through 6. Everybody with me say amen. All right, here we go. By this we what? By this we know. By what? What is this? By this we know that we have come to what? So, so, so don't, don't read anymore. By this we know that we have been saved. By this we know that we have come to know him. Well, when I read that, I want to know what this is, don't you? Here's the this. If we keep his commandments. You say, you're trying to encourage me, Pastor. That's not very encouraging because I broke one of the commandments yesterday. So hang in there with me. Hang in there. By this we know that we have come to know him. By this we know we're saved. By this we know we are true disciples of Jesus if we keep his commandments. Now, John doesn't pull any punches here now. You think, you think Pastor Farrell gets hard in his preaching sometimes. Listen to this. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. The one who says, I am a Christian, I've come to know him, but I don't keep his commandments is a liar and the what? Truth is not in him. Now, I know y'all don't need this sermon, but that next crowd that's coming in here, I need to preach this stuff to them. Look at the next slide. Look what it says. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him, the one who says he abides in him. Who's him? Jesus, who says he abides in him, ought himself to walk, and that means what? Live in the same manner as he, who's he? Jesus, what? Walked or what? Boom. You say, i got to tell you, Pastor, if you're trying to encourage me to feel confident in my walk with God, that doesn't encourage me right there because, Pastor, I don't always keep his commandments. So I guess that means I'm not a Christian. Now, you can't challenge John's logic here. You can't challenge it. Here's what John says. John says, if a person is in Christ, does the Bible say we can be in Christ? Say Amen. 
and the Christ is in him. Does the Bible say Christ can be in us and we can be in Christ? Both those things, amen? So if he's in me and I'm in him, John says it's logical to believe that I'm going to walk like Jesus. I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to pattern my life after the life of Jesus. Well, how did Jesus live? He kept the commandments. Jesus kept the commandments. Now, hold on to your seat. John says, I don't care whose church you're a member of. I don't care how much you know about the Bible. I don't care what kind of emotional experience or spiritual experience you've had. If you are not keeping the commandments of God, you are not a Christian. If you say you're a Christian and you're not keeping the commandments of God, you, here's what John, I'm just telling you what John says. Who believes the Bible? Now, I know you all think I thought I did, but gee whiz, that's pretty tough right there. We believe the Bible. John says, if you say I'm a Christian and I'm not keeping the commandments, then you're not a Christian. And you're sitting out there right now going, whew, I got doubt. Now I didn't have doubt. Now I got doubt. <laughs> so in light of John's teaching, let me ask you a question. How many of you, since becoming a Christian, have kept every command of God? No hands are up. So if you've not kept every commandment of God, does that mean you've not been saved? You're not a Christian. You haven't been converted. John says, if I know him, I'm going to keep his commandments. The key to understanding this passage is in that word that keeps coming up, keep. Keep, in the original Greek language, is a sailor's term. We've talked about this before. I've taught this before. The word keep is a mariner's term. And what the sailor would do is when he was charting the course, when he was charting his course, going where he was going, he would keep his eyes on the what? Stars. How many of you know, any, any Navy guys here? I know we got one Navy guy here. You know that when, when it's foggy, when you can't see, when it's dark, you you set your course by the constellations. You set your course by the stars. Who knows about this? Who's heard about this, read about this? You can see the constellations. You can see the stars. And a good mariner, listen to this, puts his hand on the rudder. I'm going to do a little boat here. How many, uh, how many have uh, done a sailboat? You've been on a sailboat or, or you've got a, little mo you got a little boat, maybe a little fishing boat, and you, you put your hand back here, you know, and you drive. <laughs> and you, you got the point of the boat and you know where you want to go. Well, if you're in the middle of the ocean, and there's no land to look at, and all the water looks exactly the same. How do you know where you're going? How do you know what direction you're? You keep your eyes on the stars. You have to understand the stars. You have to understand where they are in the sky. You have to understand which star constellation is east, west. You have to understand that. So what you do as a good sailor, a good mariner, is you put your hand on the rudder, and you keep your eyes on the stars. And you turn and you stay. You chart your course by those stars. Now this is how God is teaching us today what it means to keep the commandments of God. The word keep is the same word. The word keeping is the same word here as the sailor kept his eyes on the star. John's borrowing this sailor's term. The word of God, listen to this, is like the stars for us. And we keep our eyes on the Word of God. When it talks about keeping the commandments, 
It doesn't mean you get up every morning. You know there are over 600 commandments in the Bible, right? Y'all thought there was just 10. There's over 600. So what you need to do is make a list of them, go over them every morning. And don't break them. And then we know you're a Christian. How many of you know that's not right? Here's what you do. You know the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You read the Word of God. You listen to the Word of God. You go to your small group and learn. You get up in the morning and read your Bible. You read the Word of God. You're eating the Word of God. You're consuming the Word of God. So that, listen to this, so that as you are charting the course of your life, you keep your eyes on the Word of God. Now, when that sailor's going along, he's got, the, he's got that rudder and the wind's blowing. And y'all need to get a video of this and go, this is my pastor preaching, and I'm up here going like this. <laughs> Somebody's going to do that. Don't do that. So uh, I had people out there be going, I knew that bridge. They're crazy out there. So, so you're going through life. You know the Word of God. You're learning every day, though. You're learning more and more and more about the Word of God. You're discovering more things about the Word of God. So you keep your eyes on the Word of God. Well, when that sailor's got his eyes on the stars, he might get blown off course, hadn't he? So when he gets blown off course, maybe an unexpected storm or wind comes, he gets blown off course. How many of you know in life, when you're trying to keep your eyes on God, storms come and blow you? And you have to, you have to what? You have to readjust, get yourself back on course. Y'all with me? So keeping the commandments doesn't mean I memorize over 600 commandments and I don't break any of them and that proves I'm a Christian. It means you have set your face on the Word of God so that when you get blown off course, you know sometimes that sailor might just doze off at the wheel. He might oversteer the boat. I, I've, I've done a sailboat several times, and it's really easy when that wind's blowing and you're trying to get the wind in this. It's really easy to, you know, you've got the point of your boat exactly where you want to go, but the wind blows, and it blows the point of the boat over in the wrong direction, and you have to make adjustments. That's the Christian life right there. The Christian life, you are constantly charting the course of your life by the Word of God, but stuff happens you get distracted. You somehow fail to keep that perfect charter. There is no boat, no sailboat. I don't care if they got computer systems. I mean, it proves we hear the news all the time about sailboats getting blown off course and cruise boats getting blown off course. We don't know what's coming. So we're constantly, listen to this, navigating. We're in a world that just offers all kind of things to get, off, get us off course. So what does it mean to keep my eye? What does it mean to keep the commandments? It means you keep your eyes on the Word of God so that when you do get blown off course, you can make those necessary adjustments to get back on course. Does that make more sense than you got to keep all the commandments? Does that give you more confidence? Can I tell you that Pastor Farrell gets blown off course? I get blown off course. You get blown off course. But here's the deal, guys. We ought to have such a relationship with the Word of God, such a love for the Word of God, that it changes our lifestyle. And we know that the best life we live is a life that is in accordance with the Scripture. I mean, John lays it out here so powerfully, so strong. He talks about, he talks about not sinless perfection. But he talks about the fact that, it, listen, if you're a Christian, and this is where your challenge is going to be today, and I'm almost done. If you're a Christian, if you're a true believer, you're going to want to live by the Word of God. 
You're going to want to live your life by the Word of God. And here's something that troubles me. Here's something that troubles me as a pastor, and I know I'm old now. I'm about to get to my 60th birthday. Can I tell y'all, today's my 26th anniversary here at the bridge. <clears throat> Seems longer, don't it? <laughs> but, uh, but I've been here a long time. I know I'm, no, I'm kind of... You know, I, I, I know I say things once in a while, it just shows my age, but I got to tell you what I still believe. I believe if you're a real follower of Jesus, you're going to love his word. Let me say that again because I know you didn't hear me. I believe if you're a real Christian, you're going to love his word. Doesn't mean I'm going to get it perfect every time. Doesn't mean I'm going to get it right every time. Doesn't mean I'm not going to mess up, but I'm going to love his word. And when I get outside his word, I'm not going to defend myself and argue back. I'm going to go, you know what? You're right, Holy Spirit. Maybe a fellow Christian holds me accountable. You know what? You're right. Thank you for holding me accountable. But you know what we get today in the modern church? When we tell people what the Bible says, and I could make a whole list of things here and probably make about half of you mad. But when we talk about what the Bible says, we get pushback. I remember a day... In my younger years as a minister, when you declared the Word of God, you didn't get pushback. People said, amen, if God says it, I believe it. But we live in a day now where we go, well, that might be what the Bible means to you, but that's what it means to me. Let me tell you something. The Bible means what it means. The Bible is what it is. But we get pushback. Here's what I'm teaching you today. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the commandments of God. And when you're not walking in the commandments of God, you're going to feel conviction about that, and you're going to rechart your course to get back on track with Him. Amen, amen, amen. Too many people today are marching down the aisles of churches, shaking hands with preachers, and joining a church like they're joining a country club, and that church is telling them, you're a Christian. No, you're not. That doesn't make you a Christian. Joining a church doesn't make you a Christian. Walking down the aisle today doesn't make you a Christian. You can walk up here and cry crocodile tears today because you're in trouble or, or, or because you're down and out. That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is when you say, I don't love the things of this world anymore. It's gotten me nowhere. I love you, Jesus. I love your commandments. I don't have them all down pat yet, but I love you, Lord. And my allegiance is to you, and my allegiance is to your word. And yes, Lord, I mess up, and I don't always keep your word. But when I mess up, I want to get my hand on the rudder. I want the Holy Spirit to come over me and take control of that rudder, and I want to get my life lined back up with you. Amen. This makes sense right here. This makes sense. One writer said, if your religion hasn't changed your life, you better change your religion. I mean, if you go to a church and they tell you you don't have to change your life, you can love the same things you used to love, you can do the same things you used to do, you can have the same passions you used to have, all you got to do is come up here and join our church and sign our card. That's a bunch of baloney. Mm, thank you, Jesus. Because I felt something right there on the edge. And it wasn't baloney. <laughs> but it makes me mad. It makes me angry when people come here and they go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I joined so-and-so church. You're, that doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian. Your relationship with him makes you a Christian. How many of y'all feel like I could preach on this a long time, but I'm not? 
2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. You're a new creature. You are not the same person. You are a new creature. Old things are passed away. I might fall and do those old things once in a while, but I don't love them anymore. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. I love new things. I love different things than I used to love. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you become a Christian, you change. You change. Your love changes. Your passions change. Now, I know the more you get into Jesus and the deeper your roots get down, the more you become like him. And I've heard people say, well, I've given my heart to the Lord, but I still love the same stuff. No, then you haven't had a conversion. You haven't had a true conversion. I used to hear people stand up in church and say, you know, I'll just be so glad when I get sanctified, I won't want to sin anymore. Let me tell you something. When I got saved, I wanted to quit sinning. Not, not, I mean, I wanted to quit. Not that I did. I still messed up. Let me put it this way. As a Christian, you can still sin, but you can't sin and enjoy it anymore. You can't sin, and if you, if, you can sin, if you can live like you used to live and you feel the same way you used to uh, feel when, before, then you haven't had a true conversion. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep our eyes, our heart, our mind on his commandments. If we chart the course of our life by the word of God. I hope this makes sense. And let me just go a little deeper and then I'm done. John, 1 John 3, 7 and 9. Let's go right here. 1 John 3, 7 and 9. Go to that one, guys. By this, yeah, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who charts the course of his life toward God's word, that's the person who's really saved. The one who practices sin, let me go ahead and tell you what that means because I don't have much time. The one who makes sin his lifestyle, it's your lifestyle. How many of you know we all fall into sin? We all stumble into sin. We all sin and have to repent. I have to ask God to forgive me. I have to ask my family to forgive me. I have to ask friends to forgive me. I sin. I mess up. But here he's talking about that word practices means lifestyle. The one who has a lifestyle of sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. What purpose did Jesus come? To destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God has a lifestyle of sin. You might sin, you might mess up, but you're not, it's not a lifestyle. Do you all understand what I'm saying? It's not habitually living a lifestyle of sin. Because he is, that's a capital H right there, so who's it talking about? Jesus, God, his seed. Now, 1 Peter, write this down in your notes, 1 Peter 1 and 4 tells us what that seed is. It is his nature, the nature of God. So listen, listen, when you're converted, when you're saved, his seed abides in you. He put his seed in you, he's put his he put his life in you, his eternal life in you. The Bible says before you're a Christian, you are dead. But when you become a Christian, that seed of life is put in you, and you cannot sin. It means you cannot sin and enjoy it. You cannot sin as a lifestyle because you have been what? Born of. Did Jesus talk about being born of God? 
Did Jesus talk about that in John chapter 3? Absolutely. He said you must be what? Born what? Born again. Born again. So it's important for us to understand that we, when we get saved, the seed of God, that little, that little seed of his nature is in us. So yes, we sin, we mess up, but you can't do it and enjoy it. You can't do it and not be convicted. So the sign that you're a Christian is that when you get off course, you've got your eyes on the Word of God, but when you get off course, there's a conviction. There's a, there's a, there's a um, communication from the Holy Spirit. Whoa, 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 man. You're messing up right there. You're messing up and you feel conviction because that seed is in you. So here's what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying if you sin and you don't feel any conviction, then the seed isn't in you. And if the seed of God's nature isn't in you, you're not a Christian. You're not born again. I don't want anybody to go out of here believing that because you came to church today, because you gave in the offering, because you sang and lifted your hands, none of those things make you a Christian. Now, you may do those things because you are a Christian, but none of those things make you a Christian. You say, God, I want your seed to be planted in me. I want to experience that birth of God. I've been born of woman. Who's been born of woman? Not everybody. Some people here were hatched. <laughs> we're all born of woman. Jesus says there's a second birth we have to experience so that that seed can be planted in us. And that is the, the second birth, the, the birth of the Spirit, birth in the Spirit. Does this make sense? So you're going to mess up. But the way you know you're a Christian is when you mess up, the Holy Spirit blows the whistle. She's just like an umpire in a basketball game. How many of y'all know Pastor Farrell steps out of bounds sometimes? Amen. Y'all say amen. But when you step out of bounds and you're in a basketball game, that referee's going to blow the whistle. He's going to tell you, you can't do that. You can't play the game. You can't be in the game. You can't be a player if you're going to do that. I love the whistle. I love the whistle. I love it when God says, Farrell, you got to make an adjustment. You're getting off course. you got to make an adjustment. I hope, I hope this makes sense. I hope God will bring understanding to you. Will you guys do me a favor? Will you stand up? I know it's late. Will you walk up here? Can I just pray over you? Will you just walk up here? Let me just pray over you. I preached a long time today, and you sat right there and received it, and I appreciate that so much. I want you, if you, if you doubt that the seed has been planted in you today, I want you to just say, God, I, I, um, I want to be born of the Spirit. I want to be born of God. Now, if you've, if you've prayed that prayer and you've asked Jesus to take over your life, and, then don't doubt that. Don't doubt that. If you sin and when you sin, you feel bad and and you feel convicted and you say, God, I'm sorry, I blew it. That's a sign you're a Christian. But if you're, if you're somebody who just joined a church or maybe, let me just get real. Can I get real here? You got baptized when you were a baby. And you go, I'm good, man. I got baptized when I was a baby. I got pictures. I got pictures. They christened me. 
That's a beautiful thing to dedicate a child, but you're not dedicating that child to Jesus. When we have child dedications here, you're not dedicating the child to Jesus. You know what you're doing as a parent? You're dedicating yourself to bring that child up to love Jesus. I know that messes up some theology for people. And I know if you came from a different background, you're waiting, wait, wait a minute. I thought if I did this and we signed and I joined and we... None of that's in the Bible. You want the seed of God by the power of the Holy Spirit planted in you in the new birth. So just say to him right now if you're here, and I think a vast majority of people have done that, but just bow your head. If you're here and you're not sure about that, just say, God, I want that seed planted in me today. I turn my back on sin. I turn my back on self. I turn my back on Satan's plan for my life. And Jesus, I look to you. I am going to chart my course by your word. And Lord, when I, when I drift off, when I doze off, when I get distracted, when I get blown off course, I want that conviction that Pastor preached on today. I want that to come into my life. Lord, I want that relationship with you that puts that seed of life in me. Thank you for the bridge. Thank you for the Baptist church, for the Freeville Baptist church, the Pentecost. Thank you for all those churches. But Lord, churches don't save anybody. Me being a member of a church don't save me. Me being dedicated as a baby doesn't save me. Me being christened as a baby, that doesn't mean I'm a Christian. I have to make a decision to follow you, and I'm making that decision right now. I surrender my heart to you, Lord. I surrender my life. Plant that seed of life in me. I want to be born of the Spirit today. My faith is in you, Lord. Not in something I did when I was a baby. Not in something I did in a good deed or a good work. But my faith, my hope of eternal life, my hope of heaven is in my relationship with you, Jesus. And I give you my life today. I surrender my life today. No more pushing back. No more excuses. I want your seed to be planted in me today because I want to live my life for you and when I leave this world, I want to spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I could keep going, can y'all tell? <laughs> I love you guys so much. God bless you. Thank you for letting me preach the word of God in the bridge. I love you guys for that. Can we give God a big hand today? Amen. First time guest.